Let me give you just a few verses to introduce our theme, and there's so many uh, throughout the Bible that speak of thirsting for God. In fact, you could probably do a little search on that and and see a number of passages from the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation that use this this metaphor, this image of, of soul thirst. And uh, we see that, uh, that it's, that it's uh, found in, in many, many different passages. But as we, as we think about, about bringing our thirst to the Lord, may we, may we also be looking expectantly for a time in which He will refresh, that He will renew our souls. Is, anybody, is, that, is that an attractive thought to anyone here, to have your soul renewed, to have your soul replenished and refreshed? Acts chapter 3 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I know that some of these passages that I'm reading have a, have a prophetic implication as we think about the ultimate time of refreshing, as we are with the Lord in heaven for eternity. But that's part of His character, part of His nature to provide what is needed and to come alongside a thirsty soul and be the source and the stream and the supply for that soul. Isaiah chapter 43, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Has God done that before? Absolutely. Can He do it today? Yes, He can. Isaiah 58, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And I know we can think through the, the, uh, the, the meaning that that has historically with the, the people of Israel. We spent a lot of time in the, the book of Exodus, and we, we know of their journey. We know of their wanderings in the wilderness. But let me ask you, have you ever lived in scorched places? Have you ever been through a season in which you say it is, it is a wilderness? It is an experience that is, that is very dry and difficult and hard? Have you been there? Are you in one now, going through a a time in which you need the the replenishment that only comes from the Lord God Almighty? He is the one who is that spring of water. In fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this is the desire that the Lord has, to give to us what our souls thirst for and to place by His Spirit and with His Word a well within us that will provide all that we need spiritually in this journey through the wilderness. I invite your attention to Psalm 63. This will be the uh, the place that we start the series, thinking of, uh, of a soul that is thirsty. And uh, as we look through this, we're going to see that that this is a psalm in which David longs to be near to the Lord. And so I I pray that God will use it as as an impetus to to bring us to a, a frame of mind where we would have that longing to be closer, a longing to be nearer to the Lord. Because maybe there has been a fade, maybe there has been a drift 
that has happened in your life and your soul and this desire to, to come back, to be closer, to draw near to the Lord and to express the thirst that's within our soul. There's a lot of different titles that are, that are given to this psalm. Of course, the titles are, are put in by, uh, by the, the, the publishers of the Bible, right? They just add different ones, but, but uh, uh, some of them have referred to this as the psalm of the thirsty soul. Others have called it the psalm of the desperate life. But then others read it and say, no, it's the psalm of the satisfied soul or the psalm of the wilderness experience or the psalm of intense longing for God. Why did I give you all those titles? Because one of them might connect with you. And you might say, that's where I'm at. That's, that's, that's meeting me where I am right now. And so as we open up Psalm 63, let's begin in the first couple of verses and we'll eventually work through verse 8 in our time together this morning. David writes, and it reads very much like a prayer, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So that's where we begin with David. And we see that he has a soul that thirsts for God. We have souls that thirst for God. So as we think about this prayer, we see that it's offered in a time of, of desperation. In fact, the setting of this psalm, you can read about in, in 2 Samuel Chapters 15 to 18, David had a son named Absalom. And Absalom had the idea that he wanted to do what? He wanted to overthrow his dad and become the king, right? And so he began working and, and gathering people that would support him and assist his efforts with the ultimate goal of, of coming against David. And so in the time in which David was writing this, um, he was... He was, uh, he was being threatened by a rival kingship that would be set up in a different city, and yet he had to pursue. Uh, he was being pursued, and so he went out into the wilderness of Judea, a very dry and, and barren place. And it's as if it was a, a, a perfect setting for him because that's what it was like on the inside. He, he, he sensed that he was in a, in a wilderness, and he had a desire in which he would cry out for the Lord. It's interesting that as he writes, he's, he's not thinking about his royal home. He's not thinking about what he left behind in terms of his palace. He's thinking about the sanctuary of God. He's thinking about the fact that he's not near the sanctuary. He's not near the dwelling place of the Lord. And that's what he is thirsty for. That is what he is crying out for. So it is a psalm that is in the wilderness and it is a psalm in which David is displaying a love for God even in a dry and thirsty and hard place. A place where the soul can either be, listen to me, developed or destroyed. It's in those hard times that one can, one's walk can either be deepened, it can, be, it can grow, and have a, a new perspective and picture of what the Lord is, who He is and what He's doing. Or it can be in those seasons that what happens? Bitterness can take root. 
and anger and frustration. Just think, how could have David responded? Maybe you can think of other places in Scripture where, where, where folks responded out of frustration or anger or bitterness, but not this time. David is in a lonely, solitary, desolate, unsettled, and afflicted place, and yet he's drawing near, expressing a thirst for God. So can I ask you, church family, can you relate to David? Can you relate to that setting that he's in? And I know we could fill in the blanks with whatever affliction might mean to you on a personal note. We've all experienced affliction at, at varying levels and degrees and through a variety of circumstances. We've walked through the wilderness. And yet it's in this time that there is a very emotional psalm written out of a time of distress. And so I want us to see the single focus. I want us to note the longing that David has for God, even in the midst of a tremendous trial. If you look back at verse 1, you'll see that, that he, he references God in a very personal way. He says, my God. Don't miss this. It's not just a belief that God is out there and exists somewhere. It is, a, it is a confession that God is one that I know personally. It's about a relationship, right? My God. That's a key point for this whole chapter. Everything in this psalm flows out of a personal relationship with God. Now, it's interesting. You know that there are a number of different Hebrew words that could be that were given for what we call the name of God, different names, different descriptions. And, and uh, in, uh, in Psalm uh, 63, when he says, O oh God, he is using the word Elohim, speaking of the Creator God, the God who is in charge, the God who is powerful. He says that God, the Creator God, the God that is, that is out there, is also right here with me because he is my O oh God, you are my God. Reminds me of Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is what? My shepherd. And so we can't miss the fact that it's, it's this personal understanding, this personal connection to the living God. He goes on and he says, Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. <clears throat> My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So we see at the very beginning, there's this pursuit that begins. And we're going to talk about that pursuit even in, as we close our time. This is, is what we see throughout verses 1 through 8, a pursuit. But if you notice that word earnestly, that's how it's translated in the ESV. Some other versions might use the word early. Early I seek you. And it's interesting, the commentators have said that this particular Hebrew word, it speaks of primacy, it speaks of what is first, but is it, is it temporal primacy or qualitative primacy? That's, that's the challenge for the translator. And so that's why in some versions we see the idea of earnestly, in others it's early. But what is it communicating? Regardless of which word you use. It's that, that God is first. He's first. Early I seek him. Earnestly I seek him. He is at the forefront. He is primary. 
It's not a matter of saying it would be nice to have a drink of water. That's not the picture here. The picture is my life depends on this drink of water. My life depends on this relationship with God. There's no other way. I'm in a dry and weary land. And make no mistake, David felt more than a physical thirst for water. He was experiencing an inner, an intense inner longing for God. A time of desperation. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the television show Mysteries at the Museum. Has anybody ever seen that? It seems like the only two shows I watch people don't really know much about. I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me, right? Um, I like to watch a show called The Prophet, and I tell people about it. They go, I've never heard of that. And uh, I tell people about mysteries at the museum. What is mysteries at the museum? They go to a museum, and they, they take one small object or one item, and they, they give the story behind the item that's in the museum. I think it's fascinating. I think it's so interesting. Well, there is, uh, there is a, a museum. It's actually a Civil War museum that, uh, that has uh, within its collection a little two-inch vial that has a note that was written during the Civil War. But it's not just any note because it was written in code so that if it were to be uh, uh, intercepted by the, uh, by the opposing side, that they wouldn't get a tip or an understanding of what was being communicated. And so in this museum, they had this note for years, and they really didn't know what it said because it was, it was uh, in, uh, written in code. And so the, the, the curator there at the museum, Catherine Wright, uh, she, she brought a team of people together. One of them was a, 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 a retired CIA code breaker. Another was a Navy cryptologist. And they worked together to try to determine what was it that this note said. It was dated July the 4th, 1863. The message was sent from a Confederate commander and he was responding to a plea for assistance from Lieutenant General John C. Pemberton. Pemberton was defending the besieged city of Vicksburg, Mississippi, against the northern troops. If the city was lost, it would, be begin, it would mean the beginning of the end for the south. And so, uh, so the, the message was summarized with these ominous words. The response to Pemberton was, I can't help you. I have no troops, I have no supplies, I have no way to get to you. And on that very day, Pemberton surrendered to Grant's army. How hopeless must have those troops felt? How hopeless must it have been for Pemberton to hear, there's no help coming, there's no help that can get here. We're stuck in the situation that we're in. We're not able to withstand the crush of the opposing forces. Well, folks, think about that on a spiritual level. Each of us, souls that are under siege, souls, souls that are afflicted by sin and its consequences. We need help. We need relief. Think about life and the situations that we go through in this life. Life can be very, very hard. And, and as I asked at the beginning of the message, have you been through a, a time or a season of despair? Varying levels, varying degrees, we know that. But yet, each of us have probably identified a time in which we went through something very, very hard. Maybe it was a situation at the workplace. 
or at school. Maybe it was a time of, of financial difficulty and hardship. Maybe for some it was a diagnosis that was received, or maybe the death of a loved one. Some have experienced the pain of, of, of having a wayward child not following the Lord. All of our, our hardships may, may vary, and they, they even probably vary in, in their effect upon us. But nonetheless, we go through these times of trial that remind us that we can't control it. We can't affect change on this particular time. We are dependent upon someone greater to come alongside and to provide what is needed. Sometimes it's comfort. Sometimes it's peace. Maybe it's wisdom. Or maybe it's affecting an actual change in a situation. We know that these are things that we need from the Lord. And so it's in these times of, of desperation that, that we turn to Him. And we cry out to Him, just as David did in Psalm 63. But there are also spiritual issues that remind us of our desperation. Have you ever been held in the stronghold of sin, been in its grip, felt as if it was a bondage that was, that was trapping you and keeping you in a place you shouldn't be? Or maybe the consequences, the effects of, of a sinful action or behavior that have, that have come back and, 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 and uh, the consequences be felt. Maybe it's a reminder that as sinful humans, we stand before a holy God. Just as Isaiah stood before him and was reminded of, of his holiness and, and saw the, the heavenly creatures and, and beings saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he looked at himself and said, what? I am a man of unclean lips. It was as if he saw the contrast. We need to see that. We need to understand who we are in light of a holy God. And it's in this, it's in this desperation that we turn to Him for rescue. And instead of saying, I can't help you, God says, nothing can separate you from my love. Instead of saying, I have no troops, He says, I've got a son. Instead of saying, I have no way to get from where I am to where you are, he says, I will send my son to you. It's good news that God meets us in our time of desperation. I found a, uh, a statement that was put out by Amazon recently, and I don't know if many of you read books electronically, but one of the ways you can do this is on a product called the Kindle. You can read the book, and, and you can even highlight different, different uh, uh, passages and you can, or, uh, or places within the book. You can see what the popular highlights are. If you want to see in a book what, what other readers thought was the most interesting and the most important parts. And, and Amazon began to give some of this data, and they did this for the Bible. And they said, you know, we can tell by what is the most highlighted passage for those who read the Bible on the Kindle. And you know what passage was the one that was most highlighted? Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what? And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Is that surprising that that would be the passage? Probably not. It just reflects that people look with a longing outside themselves to God, who is the only one who can bring this kind of relief. So David was in a desperate time. He cried out to God, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Yes, he was in the wilderness, but he was using that as a, a picture, as a metaphor for what was taking place in his life. He knew that his soul was thirsty. And he knew that the solutions to his problems were not found on earth. He needed a divine rescue. This is the focus of Psalm 63, a passionate call to know more intimately this great and glorious God. Now, does that seem strange to think that it's in a time of desperation that someone could know God better? Is that a, is that a strange statement to think that it's in the hard times that someone could know more of God or see something anew in Him? I think if we look at our own spiritual pilgrimages, we would probably say that, that the times of greatest growth were likely, would likely correspond to a time of hardship, time of suffering. Maybe that's the case here for David. I came across something as I was preparing the message this week called, Out of the Dust and Ashes of My Disappointment, I Will Praise Your Name, O Lord. And so I, I think that in some ways kind of summarizes what David was, was praying and writing about in Psalm 63, well, here is another person, a person of our generation that also in a time of desperation decides to praise the Lord. You want to hear what this author writes? He says, beautiful are the praises that arise through the veil of tears, which give thanks to God in the midst of sorrows and declare his glory through the valley of grief. Beautiful are these praises, and precious in his sight. Beautiful are those who ascend the mountain of prayer with bruised knees and bleeding feet, who are determined to give God honor no matter what the cost. They are true warriors who serve God in spite of loss and who love him for who he is, not simply for his benefits. So will the Father reward them that seek him through trials and troubles, who are not dissuaded by the cost. With such the Father is well pleased, for tried and tested they prove they love him more than life itself. Beautiful are the praises of those who suffer, they are a sweet fragrance rising up to the Father's mouth, a beautiful garland for the crown of Christ to the eyes of the Lord. Those who sorrow and continue to praise are diamonds and sapphires in his crown of gold. And it closes by saying, the Lord is not ashamed to call them his brothers. Can you relate to that? that time of, of praise and a time of suffering? Well, the passion of David is welling up. And what we see is that his thirst turns to praise. 
His soul praises God. Our souls, too, can praise God. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5 with me. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Did you hear that author say the same thing? Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Folks, this is, this is really stunning, isn't it? How can a person who's in a dry and weary land praise with joyful lips? How can a, a person in that time of desperation cry out praises to the king of glory? How do we make sense of what we read here if it not be a work of the Lord within one's life? David declares a declaration here of, of God's love. He is completely satisfied. If you look at verse 3, because of your steadfast love, it's better than life. Now, that's a statement. I mean, what would we say is better than life? Life is what we, what we pursue more than anything else, right? To stay alive, to, to have a, a full, abundant life. And yet here, he says, your love is even better than life itself. It's a very strong word for love that's used here. Hesed, a Hebrew word speaking of a, a covenant love, a loyal love, a steadfast love. David is saying, your covenant love is upon me even though the circumstances around me are hard. Even though it's difficult, I'm not questioning that you still love me. Look at verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. Do you think David, as a king, had ever enjoyed any good meals? Do you think he'd ever had a royal banquet or two? He, he, he recognizes what it's like to have good food that's satisfying, and he is using that as an image, as a picture, to say that he is satisfied, his soul is satisfied in God. Maybe for some of us today, it's a reminder of what we have in Christ to be content in him, thinking again about who he is and what he has done, that we may live for him. Reminds me of that short little parable about the treasure hidden in the field. Do you remember that? What does the person do in order to, to, to get the treasure in the field? They buy the field, right? But to buy the field, what do they have to do? Sell everything. Maybe that's the reminder for us, to put Christ at the center once again. Well, we see the thirst leads to praise, and the praise leads to what? Pursuit. We saw it in verse 1. We're going to see it here in verse 8 as well. Let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8, and then we'll, then, we'll, uh, then we'll close. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What a powerful response, powerful statement 
of what of how David is able to continuing to continue following after the Lord. It's interesting that back in the 1600s John Donne commented on this on this verse and he said the spirit and the soul of the whole book of Psalms is is contracted into this very psalm speaking of Psalm 63. And then he says, so is the spirit and soul of the whole psalm contracted into verse number seven. Look at it. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Folks, is that not a gospel-saturated verse? That there was a creation and that, that fell into sin and then there was redemption that came out of that? That God helped us? That he was the one who saved us a divine rescue? The psalmist understands it. You have been my help. That's the key, brothers and sisters, to not look within, not to look at others, but to look unto the Lord for the help that is needed when a soul is thirsty in a time of desperation. Look at verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This word in the, in the Hebrew, uphold, is speaking of, of keeping in an unaltered condition. A very strong, powerful word. You're upholding me. You're protecting me. You're caring for me. Even when I'm confronted with enemies. Or even when I'm walking through a time of despair, you are upholding me. Isn't that a great reminder? Isn't that a great reminder when we get that phone call that we weren't expecting? Isn't that a great reminder when the circumstances of life don't turn out like we had hoped or expected to know that we are still being upheld? We are being kept in the sovereign and, and strong and loving hand of God. Some of us need that reminder today. But before we close, I want to read verse 8 in the King James Version. You've probably heard it. Maybe you're reading the King James Version. Here's what it says. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. I love that picture of following hard after God. Because we, we recognize our dependency. We know that it's all about God being the divine rescuer. But we also see that call to pursue. That call to respond by, by following and living hard for God. Making him the priority. And not crowding him out with all of the distractions this, this world brings to bear. This chapter reminds us that we live in the real world. That if we're going to be genuinely satisfied with God's love, we're not doing so in a make-believe land. But right here in the real wor world, with the reality of hurt and disappointment, and yes, even danger. That's what David was writing out of a time of danger, wasn't he? He had enemies pursuing him, his son betraying him, seeking to kill him. And yet David found the Lord's love to be richly satisfying. So as we close this morning, I want to ask, I want to ask if you're thirsty, if 
your soul is thirsty for him. I want to ask if you, again, would take the next 40 days to go before the Lord in prayer day after day after day, seeking renewal, seeking to have a frame of mind that's very similar to this one, a desperate cry, asking the Lord to provide what is needed. And we can know that the Lord wants to provide. On the very last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That's an invitation from the Lord to, to you and me. Come, take the free gift today. For some of us here today, we've not yet received the Lord. And maybe you're here and you're considering what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is a day of invitation. And in just a moment, we're going to have a song of response. We're going to have members of our prayer and encouragement team. They're going to be over on these side tables. And if you'd like to know more about what it means to know Christ personally, just as David said, my God, you had this personal relationship, all you need to do is go over and talk with them. They can talk you through, walk you through the scriptures about what it means to have a personal relationship. And for, for some of you, you, maybe you've been attending church for years or decades, but, but it's not been a personal relationship. It's been a ritual, just been going through emotion. Well, this is an invitation to come and to come to the living Lord. For some, you may be here today and you need someone that could put a hand on your shoulder and, and bow with you in prayer over something that is very, very hard. Time of grief, a time of hardship, a struggle. That's what this prayer and encouragement team is there for. So either during the song, if you want to make your way there, or as soon as the song is over, if you want to drop by, they'll be waiting for you. That's the invitation to respond. Does your heart need a fresh touch of grace? Do you need a renewed intensity for the Lord? Will you rise up today and follow hard after Him? These are points of application for us as we move from Psalm 63. I want to read a prayer to close the message, and some of it Gretchen has already read from A.W. Tozer's book that we'll be providing next week, The Pursuit of God. The very end of chapter 1 ends this way. Let's use it as part of our prayer. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire, O God, the triune God. I want to know you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray to you, that, so that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. God, hear our prayer. Hear our cries today. 
that we desire you, that we thirst for you, and that we want to praise you even in the midst of despair. God, may you work through your Holy Spirit today. May you apply your word to our hearts and lives today. And may we be counted among those who follow hard after you. God, may you bless the offering as it's received today. May you bless the, 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 the conversations that take place in the response area. And God, may you hear our prayers as we cry out to you now. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.